Welcome to Man in the Making. Today will be centered around understanding and cultivating the mind. But first, I would like to introduce Rajan Shankara. He left everything behind at the age of 19 and traveled to the island of Kauai, where he spent his time meditating in order to raise his consciousness as well as to find out who he truly was inside. After a month of seclusion, he decided his next step would be to join a nearby monastery in order to learn from a teacher, a guide who had achieved what he was trying to achieve. Twelve years later, he was ready to begin a new path, so he left the monastery. In the years since, he has become a published writer and author, and has set up a consulting service which aids people with learning meditation and understanding their mind. I would like to welcome Rajan. Thank you for coming on here. Thank you, Rokas. My first question is, what are the different levels of the mind? There are, as I have been trained to understand it, uh, five levels of the mind. There are at least five areas that work concurrently. So they work side by side. And to break them down into five parts allows people to understand what this tool is capable of and how to kind of get out of past trauma and move on with their life into areas of intuition and higher levels of thinking. And could you explain the levels? Sure. So it all begins with the conscious mind. The conscious mind is the, the layer that first perceives reality. And that goes through your eyes, you know, as a, as a lens. And it's, imagine it's the first thing that reality sees is your conscious mind. So everything's coming in. Data is being collected is another way of saying that. And, well, we co collect data in two ways, correctly and incorrectly. So, or it comes in so quickly, our life happens so quickly that we don't have enough time to categorize everything like put it in a nice a nice neat box and package it away like we would with holiday decorations around the house you know they go inside of a labeled box and then they get stored away for next year and then we can easily find it again <clears throat> so when reality comes into the conscious mind too quickly it goes into the next area of the mind, which is the subconscious. It's like the basement. When it comes into the subconscious too quickly, it sort of just gets scattered about. And our mind is full of debris and unresolved experiences. Now, the other way the conscious mind will take in reality is neatly and correctly and data will be collected and, and, and categorized into a package, cataloged, and then put away on the shelf into the subconscious. That means that we're fully aware of what happened. We have a, a resolved situation and we can extract the wisdom that comes from that situation or that experience, right? And that's kind of the goal of life is to uh, live in such a way that we can be present enough and observant enough so that our reality, our, the data that we experience gets collected really, really well and then stored away in the subconscious mind to go into later areas of the mind 
that uh, are more well-developed and allow us to pull from the information to use at a later time. So that leads me to the third area. Okay, so after the conscious takes in data, it then goes to the subconscious. And if enough of the same situation goes into the subconscious, it creates a rule or a pathway to an, a third reality called the going into the sub of the subconscious. So the basement of our mind, the subconscious, has another basement, a subfloor called the sub of the subconscious. Okay, so we don't we don't necessarily experience the sub of the subconscious. What happens is we experience what comes out of the sub of the subconscious. I'll give an example. So imagine that you 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 go to work every day. You don't work from home but you have to get into a car and you have to go to an office or you go to school. And on one occasion, you're going to a work meeting uh, or a very important event where, you know, you're needed to be your best and people are depending on you and you're in a rush and you have a liquid in your hand, like coffee or tea, for example. And on the way to the meeting, you spill the drink on your clothing, right? So it kind of a frustrating event, but it's, it's enough to recover from. It's, it's just a single event, you know, other what you've had an otherwise successful day or week and you know, you recover, right? You make it back to the, to the meeting. You, you uh, figure out a way to clean yourself up. So that conscious mind experience goes into the subconscious, okay? So it happened. It's in your life. It's over. It's in the past. Now, a few weeks later or a month later, you're on your way to another work meeting or another important event, and you're leaving your house, and you have coffee in your hand or tea or whatever. And again, you spill it, okay? So you have now a repeated event or occurrence in the conscious mind that goes into the subconscious okay so you recover and that time is actually okay now while you're living life after that moment the subconscious part okay the subconscious part of the mind has two experiences inside of it okay and they now work to create a third experience or potential and that goes into the sub of the subconscious. So the, the sub so the subconscious basement opens up a door and drops down a new experience and out comes a potential of spilling coffee whenever you're on your way to work. And whenever you hold liquid in your hand or whenever you're on your way to work, you get nervous or you get anxious stressed out now that's where most people are living their life they're in they're in these repeated experiences of the subconscious and their sub of the subconscious part of the mind has created all these new potentials and to the mind I think we can all relate to this to the mind everything is real 
everything is going to happen, you know, and, and we worry about the future as if it's happening right now or as if it's a, a done deal and it's going to happen. And it's just simply not the case, right? The mind tries to create a reality that, that prepares us, you know, it's a part of a, it's a part of an instinctive part of the mind and part of our DNA from, from the beginning of man itself that prepares us for survival, right? So if our mind can better prepare us for survival, we have more potential for living a longer period of time. But the thing is, our experiences nowadays aren't life-threatening. They're just, it's just a threat on our clothing when we spill coffee. So it's really not that big of a deal, but our mind can create a new rule that says coffee is a potential fatal threat to the life of our clothing. And we are unable to see the distinction of what the mind is talking about or thinking about. All we experience is the heightened awareness or the heightened stress or anxiety levels that comes with holding coffee on our way to work. So those three areas specifically are kind of the basics to understand and master. And when we can do that, we can start to conquer stress and live a much more peaceful and spontaneous life. Okay. So the last two areas are more refined. They're considered the levels of um, intuition. So we call that in our training, the superconscious and sub-superconscious areas of the mind. So the uh, experiences that we go through, go through the conscious mind, and then they get categorized in the subconscious. Okay, And then we start creating rules in the sub of the sub. And that's kind of why we act the way we act and why we are the way we are. Unless we're spontaneous enough and effective enough that we can just be ever new created structures and just constantly recreating our values. That's a whole nother discussion. So when things are going well for us and we do have our coffee and we go to work and we make it on time and nothing spills, then we go into what's called the superconscious mind where um, you could also call that intuition. Everything's working well. Uh, our timing is, is good. Doors of opportunity are, are opening all around us and we see that and we, we take advantage of that. Our relationships are harmonious. You know, and that's, that's an area of the mind that is like a second or third floor in our house of the mind. Um, it's higher up. We can see better. Uh, we have a higher vantage point and uh, everything just clicks for us and the universe is kind of uh, in our favor, so to speak. Now, that's where everyone wants to be, okay? So without kind of knowing where it is or what it's even called, most people know that they want their life to work well. And uh, they strive for that. And that's kind of why meditation is so important. You know, meditation uh, helps us practice climbing those stairs to getting to that higher state of consciousness, that super conscious level of mind. And when we can do that, we can think much more clearly. We, we tend to pick up information better 
uh, more efficiently and we become sharper individuals. Now, that leads to the last area of the mind, which is the sub-superconscious. So the superconscious area of the mind has a subfloor, just like the sub of the subconscious mind has these rules that are created that spit out the way we act and the way we respond to events and reality. If enough good things happen to us and, and we're sharp enough for a long enough period of time, we start to overlap these positive experiences, right? We made it to work on time. Uh, we had a great dinner with family and friends. We uh, uh, took care of our spouse. Um, we passed at class. We, we won the, the game. You know, if we have enough of these experiences that are positive and they overlap, well, our superconscious area of the mind starts to store those rules in the sub-superconscious. And then all of a sudden, we become a structure that is unstoppable because our mind says, okay, we haven't had threats in a while. We're a very effective person and there's no reason why we can't live this way again and again and again. And all of a sudden, the law of attraction becomes a very real thing. And we start to create our reality in this positive light. Now, unfortunately, most people aren't really there. Maybe they don't know it's possible, uh, but they're kind of stuck in the sub of the subconscious and the subconscious. So they're stuck in the past. They're stuck in the things that they've done wrong. And they're actually, because of their mindset, they're repeating all of the negative things that they've done wrong and they're repeating the negative aspects of their life. And, um, you know, my goal with people is to not only make them aware of, uh, this more powerful state of being, but to actually start practicing it in, in meditation. And apart from meditation, are there any other cues someone can use? to stay present in the moment so they're not arising the negative emotions from thinking into the present or into the past. Yeah. So meditation isn't really the first step and that's a that's a, a damn good question. So basically what you want to start out with is attention and concentration, not meditation. So meaning we don't necessarily just start sitting down right away and uh, closing off thoughts and, and being in peaceful bliss. What happens is we start to become aware of our day-to-day -day actions or uh, we start to become observant, self-observant, you know, uh, observant of ourselves. And we literally just watch the way we talk to people. We watch and observe the way people talk to us. And we, we try to be more present. And we need to just pr start practicing that. And, and we need to, uh, like, as we walk, we need to be aware of our surroundings. We need to be uh, conscious of what's going on, you know, and see the actual colors in the leaves or uh, feel the grit of the pavement under your feet and listen to the tone of others as they speak to you. And that kind of begins the process 
of yoga, you know, or yoga literally means to join or to yoke. And that really means in a matter of speaking to get back to who we really are. And so that's really, that's really where it begins. And, 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 and it, I think even before that, it has to come from a desire to change. We have to sort of hit rock bottom and enough people have to kind of tell us that we're, we're not that good at what we do and, and something's not right. And we have to experience um, more pain than pleasure before we seek out this new person and this new way of thinking. And something else, uh, linking back to what you said about the sub of the subconscious, is that where trauma is also stored, if that's the right word? Where, where is trauma in the brain? Let's say from childhood. Right. Yeah. So that's a really good question because it's over with. So it's not in the conscious mind. It's not happening out here right now. You and I are not experiencing trauma. So it got stored in the subconscious part of the mind and it got stored incorrectly. So I would say most of it lives in the subconscious um, scattered out, like just like a, a, a cluttered basement or a cluttered garage. And it's like if someone asks you to go inside the garage and get that thing, which is all the way in the back, you're like screwed, right? You're like, okay, how am I going to get over the car, um, behind the ladder, up on the shelf, you know, and through, through years and years of junk. And by the way, that junk is extremely dirty. And uh, I'm really not in the mood for spending an hour going to get that thing. So that's that whole experience is it can be you know replicated in 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 three words. If someone were to say to you, "Remember that time," like, "Remember that time this happened," and then all of a sudden, if 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 that time was traumatic, you, you access the conscious subconscious mind and it's like okay yeah I, I do kind of remember that that was a really messed up time and you start to realize that as you bring it out into the conscious mind you're kind of confused you're kind of lost and so it's it's so different right than than going through a time that was peaceful or happy or joyous you know remember that time that you scored the game winning shot it's like hell yeah i remember that time it was awesome it went like this and like this and like this and i can see it perfectly as if it happened yesterday right we've all experienced that and we've all used the same language to define what happens in the mind but most of us cannot navigate through those areas and and, and understand why the traumatic experiences are the way they are and why we see the good experiences the way we, the way that we do. And furthermore, we don't even see the consequences of those traumatic experiences. It's, it's really unfortunate. So yeah, they live in the subconscious mind and the potential to recreate that action or your potential future 
lives in the sub of the subconscious mind. And that's where, to go back to your other question, are there other ways to, uh, you know, uh, stay in the start present. changing that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another way to stay in the present is to change your perspective. So regardless of, of uh, being observant and being mindful, you know, and meditating and things like that, the desire to change and the ability to say, I am not determined by my past. I am just influenced. I understand it as an influence. It kind of helped shape me, but I'm not made of clay. You know, I haven't hardened. I'm malleable and I can change at will. And so that's, that's another way to kind of uh, break free from the, uh, our past, our traumatic past. So what you just said, that sounds like affirmations. So in yeah, do affirmations affect the mind in what way? Right. So definitely that is uh, our perspective is not uh, synonymous with affirmations. So our perspective um, is not necessarily the same thing as an affirmation. Our perspective is changing our value structure, you know, um, and saying, I'm going to see reality differently and I am going to start creating what I want. Now, the way you do that is one way you do that is with affirmations, right? Audible uh, speech that you say to yourself out loud. And the reason that works is, an affirmation is a concrete way to retrain the mind. Okay, so the mind is stubborn. Okay, the mind is like a cow. The more you push on it, the more it pushes back. And that's because you and the mind are actually two different things. And you can train the mind. You can actually harness it and kind of wrestle it into submission and then say, look, you're going to act the way I want you to act and the way that benefits both of us or else, you know, there's going to be consequences and you can actually start to reprimand or correct or scold the mind as if it was a child. And an affirmation is kind of a way of, of snapping it into shape and reminding you and your mind that, you're in fact something different, you know, you're something else. And because it's happening outside of you and not, not like just talking to yourself because it's happening outside, the mind pretty much perceives it as if someone else is saying it to you. Okay. So like, imagine if you were in school as a kid and your teacher was like, instead of me correcting you, I'm just going to depend on you to correct you. You know, and the kid would be like, awesome. You know, I just, I'm about to get away with everything because there's no way I'm going to correct myself because I win all the time. So that's how the mind responds when you don't talk to it out loud. When you just think something, you and the mind kind of become one. And living life with ourselves is like this interplay of going in and out of becoming one and two, one and two. And 
we tend to go insane when there's too much oneness. You know, there's too much identity with the mind and there's, there's too much um, identification with it uh, as if that is you. So we need to have more of this too. We need to have more of this separation and an affirmation will immediately create a separation. That's incredible. You've said before that stress and load on the human mind is self-created. Could you expand on that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's an awesome question. And, and I, I don't get enough uh, opportunities to speak about this kind of stuff. Um, okay. So stress on a structure, like a physical structure is very real, like a bridge. You take enough cars and put it on a bridge or enough, uh, enough weight and compromise the structure, the structure will collapse due to stress, right? There's too much pressure and it is not an infinite, it does not have an infinite capacity. Now, the mind is not so much a physical structure, right? It has like the brain is a physical structure, but the mind is the intelligence within the brain. And to this day, neuroscience still has not mapped out the brain or understood the intelligence that goes into the brain. And it, it remains a mystery, right? But to my lineage of teachers, you know, mystics who, who use advanced meditation to understand themselves and, and to conquer the mind, they know that the intelligence behind the mind is something kind of made up of infinite magnitude and changelessness. Something in there is always new. And it's like electricity almost. We don't, we don't kind of understand electricity, but it doesn't necessarily die, okay? It simply begins and finds a channel to work and to spread itself and, and to energize. So the mind, knowing that the brain is run by intelligence, the mind is then created. Okay. And this mind, because of, um, well, let's take history. Let's take great people throughout history. We know because of people having existed and talked about their stories and their, their incredible breakthroughs through challenges. We know that there is no limitation to talk, to, to cover stories from prisoners of war and to see what people have gone through in horrific situations. We know there's no limitation to go into our own lives and, and to find moments where somehow we've persisted and endured we can kind of calculate that there is no limitation. And for some reason, when enough pressure is put on the mind, enough weight starts to get loaded onto our spirit, our, our capacity for stress increases just a little bit. We don't break. We don't, we don't, our structure doesn't fold under the pressure. And if it does, if we literally have a nervous breakdown, we can recover. It's like we can come back from that which broke us. 
which is unheard of in a physical structure. It, it's just not. It just doesn't obey the the laws of physics, right? Like 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 a physical thing does. So that's why I've realized through my own experiments with stress because of being trained in a militaristic environment that is that is based morally and ethically on breaking the individual to to watch them grow stronger and based on my years of research and and reading and study that is available to everyone and based on the the accounts of of other people we can safely say i can safely say that stress on the mind is simply not real it it's self-created so eventually people get to a point where uh it feels good to be the victim it feels good to say i just can't handle this uh it's too much and what's going on is they're creating their own affirmations they're starting to create affirmations that make themselves worse and and that make themselves limited and it's it's unfortunate because the alternative is so much better the alternative is well i actually am limitless and i can endure and i can increase my capacity for stress and i will do just that and that's in my opinion and and my uh my own experience with life itself and i'll never be i'll never uh be any different i mean i'll i'll never go back to who i used to be before that transformation because it's true it is real we don't have a we don't have a a limit that was amazing before i ask my final question where can people find you online yeah um so i have a website it's just my name uh, it's rajanshankara.com and uh i think if you type in my first name and monk or something i'm i'm just the first thing that comes up in google my instagram and facebook follow my name protocol so it's just rajanshankara official at the end to just uh separate me from other rajan shankaras but again i think it's it's one of the first ones that comes up in social media if not the first one and uh uh i have courses now online kind of like there're a bunch of video lectures and and articles that i've written that go along with the video that you can study and learn meditation just courses.rajanshankara.com and i uh recommend people email me whenever they want uh, and ask me whatever they like at uh, raj at rajanjankara.com and my final question how do you want to be remembered and what do you want your legacy to be hmm. yeah that's a good question so it's kind of funny because um as a monk we were we were trained to not have a legacy so we were trained to be seen but not heard and uh you know we were kind of to be this stealthy 
a monk kind of soldier that was in and out and, and would, would perform a temple ceremony and then disappear into the back and make sure you don't get any credit, you know, for the ceremony or any credit or praise that would inflate your ego. And it's, it's ironic because living like that in and of itself creates a reputation because it's so rare. And I think if, uh, if anything, all we can ever ask for is that, you know, on our deathbed, we're surrounded by loved ones. And, you know, as we're going off to the cremation grounds that we're carried uh, by, by people that love and respect us. And I, I think that's good enough. Thank you very much for your time, Rajan. Thank you. Very nice to have you on here. And hopefully we can do this again in a few weeks' time. I look forward to it.